0: Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. After a brief pandemic-related lull in 2020, immigration levels are at record levels and set to remain that way for the foreseeable future. The broader GTA and the City of Toronto in particular continue to be the single greatest beneficiaries of that immigration into Canada. But with continued housing supply challenges, an important question is, will new residents have homes to move into? Toronto has already begun to implement initiatives that encourage the creation of more and varied types of homes, mid-density options like plexes, walk-ups, and stacked townhomes. Treb is excited to see this type of development that we've been advocating for ramping up in the City to address the missing middle in housing options. In today's episode, we're talking about expanding housing options in Toronto neighbourhoods with our guest, Greg Lintern, the City's Chief Planner and Executive Director. Thanks so much for joining us today, Greg.
0: It's great to be here, Jason. Looking forward to it.
1: Great. And maybe to start off with, maybe give us a quick rundown on how you became the, the chief planner in Canada's and one of North America's largest and most diverse cities.
0: Well, I have had uh, a long career in uh, municipal government. Um, I'll, dare I say, more than 35 years. I'm still at it. Uh, various capacities and geographies, and, and uh, all in, in metropolitan what was metropolitan toronto and now the city of toronto um various levels you know i was a planner for many many years project planner i kind of got my hands dirty in the trenches I, I all the cliches apply to me uh i know how to run the photocopier i i like to say and um, uh not that people use photocopying very much anymore but um uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've had a progressively responsible uh, career in, in in management and oversight of um, a lot of very complicated projects, uh, policy projects, development projects uh, over the years was involved, for example, in the revitalization of Regent Park, um, uh, oversight of the downtown plan. Um, working in various geographies across the city whether it be Humber Bay Shores uh, now we're working on Downsview out in the Golden Mile in Scarborough so quite quite familiar with with that as well as you know public policy and uh, what we do with the overall uh, official plan which is the city's long-term planning document for growth in the city and um, um, involvement in building out the transit network and and all of our housing priorities that you mentioned off the top so it's quite a full plate and uh, I've got a fantastic team here at, at City Planning and, and for that matter, right across the City of Toronto and all of our divisions, whether they be engineers or uh, parks planners, uh, it really does take a village to build a big city like Toronto.
1: Absolutely. And, and certainly, you know, I could say when, when I was in planning school at U of T back in, in, in 2000, I remember reading papers that were written by you on, you know, different topics uh, related to uh, to housing. So it's, you know, it's really great to have you on today and kind of provide that, you know, long term context in terms of how, you know, the housing situation has evolved in the, in the city of Toronto and, and how you expect it to to evolve moving forward. And I guess on that note, I wanted to start out our discussion today on the topic of immigration and, and, and how that impacts the, the city and even the, the, the broader region. I mean, we do polling each year uh, at Trab in conjunction with, with Ipsos, and, and one of the things that we found is that you know newcomers to uh, the city and, and, and broader GTA, while a lot of them may rent uh, initially, uh, they're actually more likely over time to to purchase a home uh, um, than than existing residents. But you know, our, our current limited housing supply can pose a challenge, especially when we're looking down the barrel of of uh, uh, you know record levels of immigration over the next few years, and and, and so you know that also can can sort of feed through into lost economic uh, opportunity as well. And so maybe you can touch on how the city is planning for new residents in line with, you know, the federal's plan to increase immigration into Canada and, and you know, by extension, you know, how we're going to account for that with, with, with more homes in the city as we move forward. Yeah,
0: I mean, it, it does, I'm sure, and, and people talk about this with their friends and their family and, and, and what can seem actually quite an overwhelming um, uh, challenge. Uh, like any large, overwhelming challenge, you need to break it all down into bite-sized pieces. And um, I'll, I'll just kick off with a few kind of overarching comments. Uh, I mean, immigration, ha- you know, we've always been a city of, of immigrants, a region of immigrants. Uh, fact is, we don't grow without immigration. Uh, we, uh, so it, it is vitally important, as you point out, to the economy and... Um, and then, you know, getting folks homes, whether they rent or own, I, I, I try not to distinguish too much because I think what's really important is is, is that they have a home and they have a place of, of dignity and uh, a place that where, and, and increasingly we've seen through the pandemic how important housing is just for your uh, physical and mental well-being. Uh, everything is centered on on that and, and, and the way that you can... Um, that you can grow your life is so vitally important and connected to uh, to housing. So, you know, what, a big picture thing that we we are involved with at the city is reviewing our official plan, which is our long-term planning document. And we, by provincial mandate, have to accommodate a certain amount of growth, which is a share of the region's growth. Uh, in the city of Toronto, is about um, about 750,000 700, people by 2051, at a minimum. So that's a lot of change in the next 30 years. And looking back, we've accommodated uh, about 700,000 people over the last 30 years. So, you know, and we are not growing the geography of Toronto. This is all happening through intensification and change inside the boundary of of Toronto. And how do you do that is really the challenge. How, answering the question how, because I think there's an inevitability about the number of people who are gonna arrive here. and we do that and we think about the balance, first of all, between housing and, and land and other land uses like employment, we, we also need to make sure that we got places for people to work and we maintain a lot of employment diversity in the city, which is vitally important about a million and a half p- uh, jobs in Toronto, which is fantastic uh, economic powerhouse in the city. Um, but, but with housing, um, how we unpack that we've got a growth plan uh, for the city and what we call the official plan. It directs where that change happens. And it also looks at the types of housing need that we have, whether they be apartments, whether they be ground related housing. And some of the work that we're doing is determining that the housing need is shifting. You get some turnover in housing. People age out of housing, as you know, and, and that housing naturally turns, turns over. But, um, we have seen through some of the work that we've done that over the next three years, we will need more ground related housing. Um, so we seem to have no problem building apartments. Uh, you've seen all the cranes. Um, you can check that box, but uh, more of a challenge to, to build uh, ground related housing. And, and this is why we're looking at neighborhoods a little bit more maybe than we have in the past, because that low scale is something that everybody, I think, uh, gets and, and and supports. but. Is there a way to add some gentle density into neighborhoods that would accommodate um, more ground-related housing? You know, we build a lot of large, um, what people maybe pejoratively call monster homes, but they're large homes, and they're maybe they're six or you know seven thousand square feet. Um, is there a way to carve up those homes into smaller, um, maybe they're twelve hundred square feet homes, which is kind of the space that I live in, and uh, it, it actually you know you'd be able to house more families and more people in the same footprint um, which is a powerful way of introducing and meeting that need that we've got over the next um, over the next 30 years I'd also emphasize that we've got um, you know to think about housing affordability and by that I mean um, uh Uh, you know, the market is going to continue to supply housing, but it won't necessarily be affordable for many people. We've got a big challenge in Toronto. Uh, When we talk about affordable housing, we talk about 30% of your income going to housing. Um, There are only two neighbourhoods in Toronto where you can find housing, rental housing, at that level. So we've got a real problem with housing affordability. Uh, I've always maintained that we're not going to supply our way out of that problem—that uh, you know—I I don't know how you do that without actually building capital A affordable housing, which means partnerships with right. with the with the other levels of government, province, the feds, and we've seen uh, the city um, uh, using its own revenue and its own assets to build. Actually, purpose built affordable housing. First time in, in decades that we've actually gotten back into building capital A affordable housing that meets uh, income thresholds uh, so that people, you know, and I, I'm talking uh, about a need in the middle, not deeply affordable, uh, subsidized, and, and not market, but something in the middle the, the, the clerk, the, the, um, the, the grocery store clerk, the, the, the PSW, those types of folks who are struggling to, to get that sweet spot affordability that they need so we're targeting um, a lot of a lot of housing in in that a a direct role for government in uh, building rapid housing and um, and and other forms uh, of housing to meet that need so you know long-winded answer but but there's a lot going on and happy to kind of dig into any of those areas with you that you want me to uh, explore a little bit more
1: yeah, it's a lot of interesting points for sure. And I mean, thinking about the you know the the the, the rental housing discussion and, and affordability, I mean, a lot of the you know, rental housing that's come online in the city of Toronto over the last decade has been you know, on the back of, of, of individual condo investors. So that's secondary rental market. Right. Right? So you know, we've seen rental supply come online there, but those are people that you know, paid a significant amount of money for that property. And obviously they're looking for a return on top of that. And so I think that gets your point around you know, the affordability of, of, of average rents in a lot of neighborhoods. So certainly you know, pointed to the need for um, you know, partnerships there, not only with the city, but with the province and, and and the federal level of government, and I think and and you know you can agree or disagree, but I, I think that you know certainly over the last you know five years, um, you know I would argue that you know all levels of government have have focused uh, more seriously, I think, on 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 housing issues than they had perhaps in the in in the previous decade. And you know uh, I, yeah, I think this sort agree, of yeah. For sure. And so, you know, I'm hopeful and certainly Treb has taken part in, you know, a a lot of different, you know, projects and and consultations around affordable housing that, you know, I I think we're moving in the in the right direction on that on that front, Um, I, I think. I think another important point you made was around sort of large houses. Cause I know, you know, both the city of Toronto um, and Treb over the past five years has had work done by by Cancia where it's looking at you know the number of empty bedrooms uh yeah. in the in, in in the city and just sort of thinking about that that housing continuum where you have a lot of people who are living in homes that are perhaps larger than what they need. Um, and, and a lot of them would be willing to move if they felt that there was uh, a suitable uh, alternative type of housing that that met their needs, but allowed them to remain in in their in their neighborhood of choice, or or a neighborhood that kind of met all of their uh, all of the, their their living requirements. And so, um, yeah. you know. And it gets me to my next sort of question about, you know, zoning in many neighborhoods within the city of Toronto has been somewhat prohibitive um, vis-a-vis the development of a greater diversity of home types, even, um, you know, at the ground related level. And and, and so many desirable neighborhoods with access to transit and services were were really exclusive to single family type homes. And so, you know, how and when did the expanding housing options and neighborhoods initiative come about to address this issue? And how does it encourage a, a diversif- diversification, I guess you could say of home types in, in Toronto? Uh, and what's the status of progress on this initiative?
0: Yeah, I know it, it's, it's really uh, a new area that we've uh, gotten into over the last couple of years is the mayor moved a motion um, and we reported in July, 2020, um, kicking off this program, expanding housing options in neighborhoods. And, you know, I really wanna say at the top, this is about housing Uh, improving housing choice and options. This isn't about taking anything away from anybody. This is actually adding, adding to the the options that people might have available to them that that currently aren't available. What we've already done is um, approved permission for secondary suites. So you can build a new house, for example, and include a secondary suite, a basement suite or main floor suite, um, self-contained with kitchen and, um, and, and, and sanitary facilities. As of right in Toronto, um, no problem, and no additional parking required for that too. Um, You can now build a laneway suite in Toronto as of right, uh, no parking required. So if you are, if you have a lot that is a laneway at the back, um, that lane, that laneway uh, offers an opportunity for you to front a small uh, suite on there, Uh, not severed, but associated with the main house, tethered to the main house. Great opportunity for intergenerational living. People, um, you know, they don't want to live with their kids anymore. Their kids live out back or vice versa. Uh, But it is a way to support intergenerational living, um, uh, aging in place. You mentioned aging in place, such an important thing. People love their neighborhoods in Toronto. They want to stick around. They have their networks. They have their social uh, sphere, local shopping, my dentist, my doctor, all the rest of it. Uh, Why can't we have you know, more places for people to live, uh, but age in place. So they don't want to live in the big house anymore, but they want to stick around uh, in that area. Um, something to really, really work, uh, you know, it, it drives this, this program is knowing how much um, we can open up opportunities to stay, uh, for people to stay close. Um, we've, we've uh, council has passed a, um, a bylaw to permit garden suites which is another form of housing in a small unit in the backyard, not uh, even if you don't have a laneway, same thing, but without a laneway, that has uh, been considered now by the Ontario land tribunal. If that uh, proceeds, that's another uh, kind of tool in the toolkit to help people uh, with aging in place and with intergenerational living uh, and open up. Maybe it's a, it's a small opportunity for, again, their, um, parents to live close by or their parents live close by. Uh, So all of these things add up to a lot of new opportunity. Again, not taking anything away, but just adding to the options. Uh, The other one that we're working on is multiplex housing, which, um, you know, when you think about it, if you've already got a secondary suite or garden suite, you're already permitting three units on that property. We're just saying that there may be an opportunity to take the same box, the same volume of house, Think about that 6,000 square foot monster home. Right. That a lot of people actually don't like very much showing up on their streets. And think about actually that being four, four uh, 1,500 square foot units. Um, uh, pretty good living standard, probably all two bedroom, nicely fit out, um, well-designed. Um, uh, uh, you probably wouldn't even know it's there. Same scale, same length, width, height. Um, you know, really important to preserve the trees and the and the soft landscaping in Toronto's neighbourhoods as well because it's important for climate resilience. But uh, there is a way to, to kind of think about Toronto's neighbourhoods evolving very gently and slowly over time so that 10, 20, 30 years from now, these are more the norm that you see. And again, you may have one on a block, you may have one on 10 blocks, but just adding that little bit of... Um, Housing opportunity into the mix allows that ele- uh, evolution to take place over time, and uh, so we're advancing that idea as well. We're we're going to table a report in July, but we'll be back in early twenty three with the final uh, package. And uh, you know, there's some there is some concern about that, and I get that people don't like change, but I would I would seriously say to people, you know, we, we're at a bit of a fork in the road. In Toronto, there is a cost to the way our neighborhoods exist today—a a municipal cost to run those sewers and and garbage trucks and everything else. Um, and and we got to think about the way climate's changing, and we got to think about how uh, our kids are going to afford to live here in the future. So many people raise this issue that my kids can't afford to live here. Well, I think we all have a bit of a personal responsibility to try and answer that question, and if that means. Giving a little to get a lot, then I think that's a discussion that we have to have with the Cantonians over the next
1: little while. Yeah, and I think it's an important discussion. I mean, you know, I, I think added to that is the is the economic cost um, if, if 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 we don't provide you know a greater diversity of housing to account for you know the different types of population growth we're expecting to see you know over the next uh, over the next couple of decades. And you know, with that in mind, I wanted to kind of group two questions I had maybe together because. Sure. Uh, um, it, I'm just curious, you know, what the reaction of, of residents has been generally to these sort of more innovative and, and out-of-the-box um you know housing initiatives, you know, especially vis-a-vis you know what we've seen in the in the city over the last decade um or two. And 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 maybe uh, speak to that also through the lens of of inclusionary zoning. Um, you know, my understanding is that Brown was the first municipality in Ontario uh, to go down this path. And so maybe explain, you know, that concept and, and what it is and sort of what it means moving forward as we're thinking about, you know, new types of housing and a greater diversity of housing.
0: Yeah, so, so just on the you know the engagement piece first, very quickly, uh, we have talked to thousands of people, we've done surveys, even door-to-door surveys before the pandemic, right. but certainly lots of surveys since then. Um, through the surveys that we get, we get overwhelming support for these changes, but we do get a lot of other communications from residents associations and others who have raised a lot of concerns. They've raised concerns about trees, and, and soft landscaping and the character of their neighborhoods. And I understand that people value the look and the feel of their neighborhoods. But we would, we would argue that people really have to do some soul searching here about what type of city we want and how embracing and inclusive we want this city to be. We don't want this city to just be a place for people who um, can afford two and $3 million homes. I, I, I don't. Um, I, I think we have to really think about our kids and 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 how they're going to be able to afford to live here in the future, and um, uh, I think that conversation is continuing. and And there is a sweet spot here. There's a sweet spot where I think people can uh, keep, people can come to terms with gradual evolutionary change. It's still kind of inside the box of those types of buildings that they see, but at the, in the meantime, accommodating um, a lot more opportunity for people going forward. Just on. Um, on inclusionary, uh, so inclusionary zoning is, is really um, um, a mandate uh, of the city that uh, requires a certain percentage of every residential uh, building that gets built uh, to provide um, um, a portion, a percentage of affordable housing. Right. And, and that's as defined by the city with that 30% uh, income level. Um, the... the um, and then, you know this is in this is in its infancy. It's brand new. We just adopted it. Um, it is geographically limited. There are only certain areas of the city where it's required, and they're related to areas in proximity to transit stations. Each one of them has to be approved by the province. So we've sent a number of them up to the province, and they are awaiting approval by the province before that that bylaw clicks in to use. Um, and and over time, it transitions up over time it 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 starts at a low level you started kind of go slow and go low if you will so that the industry can adapt to the cost of accommodating that requirement in their buildings not unlike when we did green roof bylaws years ago we we had a run-up to to how you know today we have every every building that gets built has has a green roof and it, it gets absorbed into the cost of, of the development and the land uh, in the fullness of time. Um, you know, We build a lot of units in the city. Um, I think we approve on average about 28,000 units a year in the city. Uh, we, about 15,000 are completed every year. So we're churning out a lot of housing, but again, it's, it's fine tuning that to make sure that we're meeting some affordable need. And inclusionary is just another tool in the toolkit. No one of these things is the is is panacea. We need them all. We need them all to kind of meet the goal of, of providing a broader spectrum of, of uh, housing affordability and housing need. And and these types of units again will be geared to people with incomes you know in the thirty to ninety thousand dollar a year. So you're dealing with people um, who are really struggling to find uh, to find housing. So uh, again, it's brand new. We've we started out. There are some exemptions and all kinds of things I won't go into, but um, we're hopeful that as as these come online, probably you will see them. And the run up to housing, of course, takes a while. All the pop projects in the pipeline, this doesn't apply. So there's quite a quite a little while before you're actually going to see some of these. But it is, as I said, another uh, another tool in the toolkit.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously an interesting and pretty you know novel concept. I guess I'd say you know at least in the in the Ontario perspective. I mean, when you're looking at this, um, you know, what did you find in, in other jurisdictions, whether we're talking Canada or, or or elsewhere, in terms of how it rolled out and its effectiveness?
0: Yeah, it, you know, there's a lot written um, online about the relative effectiveness, um, and I grant you, in in some areas, uh, it's been a struggle. Um, I think that's one of the reasons, and no one program is directly comparable to the next. We produced a lot of analysis that showed it was almost impossible to compare one jurisdiction to the next. There are all sure. these differences and nuances. Right. Uh, Montreal builds uh, or uses inclusionary, but they, they don't require it to be uh, affordable for as long as we do, for example. So uh, we will see the impact of this. What's really important is monitoring. So we we've already been told that we need to watch it closely, and we will. And uh, regular monitoring reports will be produced. We got to produce the first units, though, and I think I'd say those are a few years away.
1: Interesting. It would be interesting to see how that unfolds and 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 how it takes hold um, over time. I, I want to touch on another initiative that's relatively new um, within the, within Toronto, and that's the concept of a, of a vacant home tax. And it gets back to a comment I made earlier in, in a discussion we had around um, you know, the the source of rental stock. Um, and stock and quotes, I guess you could say, over the last you know decade or two, where you know a lot of our rental housing has been in, in the secondary market, where you have people yes. purchasing. You know, it could be a condo apartment; that's obviously very common, but other types of housing as well, and 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 choosing to rent it out. Um, whereas you know, you may have other investors that um, aren't renting it out at least on a regular basis or in that sort of traditional sense. Um, and so, I think the debate was around: you know, um, shouldn't there be um, some sort of incentive or I guess disincentive not to, you know, have a unit vacant to bring it to bear um, on the housing market to, to, to provide that, that extra level of, of housing. So maybe take us through sort of how that debate unfolded um, and what you've seen thus far.
0: Well, it, it, it I, and I'm not an expert at all on the vacant home tax, but it, it came into uh, it came into being on uh, January 1st, 2022. And, uh, so it's the start of the first tax reference year, Um, and the, the, um, it would become payable in in early 2023 based on the occupancy status status of the previous year. So it's, it's running for the first time. Um, it has to be unoccupied for more than six months. There are some exemptions, um, it's it's new and and again it is not really focused on revenue. It's it's focused on changing norms, uh, such that this latent um, supply that might be sitting there for all kinds of reasons is brought into use, and uh, it, you know it's put, it's putting some guardrails around around um, uh, around behavior. You see this again with uh, short-term rentals and Airbnb, where. Yes, you know, real life happens, and people rent out their properties. But after uh, beyond a certain extent, it has an impact on on everybody else, and that's basically the role of government and public policy is to try to put some some uh, limits on 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 uh, on that activity so that there's uh, some benefit in the end, the greater good. And I think you know the vacant the vacant home tax is is. Um, you know, using, using uh, Vancouver's tax metrics, for example, assuming a 1% vacancy rate on Toronto's 800,000 residential units, it, it, w- it might represent about 50 to 60 million in tax revenue annually if, if that type of dynamic uh, emerged, but we would rather have them occupied. And I think it's, it's just trying to provide a financial incentive to, um, to, to, to keep that option to a minimum for people. And again, lots of exemptions in the program around around uh, whether or not people are, are away for a period a period of the year. Uh, and then uh, directing any funds that are that are developed through the program to affordable housing initiatives.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a good point you made. I mean, the, you know, I think the overall success of uh, of that initiative would be if there's if there's zero tax paid, because uh, exactly. that would mean yeah. you either have investors that are, are choosing to to rent their unit out for for a substantial period of time, thereby yeah. providing you know a, a home for uh, an individual or, or or a family, or on, on on the flip side, they're choosing to to list their unit for sale, which bring, you know, bring supply on in the in, exactly. in the ownership market. So you know, I, yeah. I think that'll be a key metric to watch. Is is uh, you know, hopefully we're minimizing. The revenue from that tax which means that it, it's it's uh, achieving its desired goal
0: yeah and coupled a coupled with some of these other initiatives about lowering our parking rates or improving our zoning all these things tend to work together to give i think a whole new suite of opportunities for people to realize uh, not only you know I, I mean people make money in real estate in, in toronto i get it um, um, but um, we've, got a, we've got a problem with, with um, accommodating, you know, as we started this conversation, with accommodating all the folks that are arriving here and who, who want to make a contribution to, to Canada. And, um, um, and, and the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. We've learned uh, from our Indigenous um, population in our conversations just in the last few years how they think in seven generations, right? So we got to get our heads out of our we got to get our heads out of our own little world and think think big and think long term
1: Yeah, I think that's a nice sort of transition or segue into into the final, you know, question I have, because, you know, Toronto is a great place to live, the GTA is a great place to live. And, and, you know, it's been a virtuous circle, if you will, where, you know, people move to Toronto to take advantage of the economic opportunities that exist, the, the, you know, social and cultural diversity uh, uh, that exists. Um, And and so we continue to see that 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 influx of new residents every, every year, but they all require a place to live. And I don't think one level of government um, you know, can can you know achieve our goals as it as it relates to housing, and so you know, thinking about the federal election that's just passed, and, and next week we have a provincial election, and, and later this year we'll have a uh, an election at the municipal level, and and certainly at the federal and, and provincial level, you know, housing and affordability has been has been top of mind. I imagine that'll be ca- the case for the municipal elections to to follow. So you know, looking forward, we've seen a lot of you know great initiatives that that are just starting to to, to roll out um, as the housing debate has intensified over the last few years but you know looking forward where do you see the real opportunities for collaboration between you know the three levels of government um you know as we move through this decade
0: well you know the city of toronto adopted a a 10-year housing action plan and it's really a roadmap for um period 2020 2030 but in there, it, it kind of allocates uh, financial responsibility for Toronto, for Canada, federal government, and, and Ontario at provincial level. It you know, at the heart of that is a partnership. It also includes the private sector, of course, because the private sector produces a lot of housing. And if, if we can make tweaks to how that how that housing lands on the ground, then we, we're kind of firing on all cylinders, but it's really important. Um, first to understand that the city has stepped up with its own assets through programs like Housing Now, where we put our own uh, properties into the marketplace and leveraged um, uh, 30% of those housing units for affordable housing. So we've actually taken a write down on the value and made that financial contribution to housing um, and, and led with, with our own property and our own projects uh, and our modular housing initiative as well. Um, what, what's important ingredient here is program and tax support and other program funding that comes from the federal and provincial government. And the federal government has contributed a substantial amount of money through its rapid housing initiative, where it's, it's um, targeting hard to house and uh, other support forms of supportive housing, where we've been able to use some of our assets and some of our property, and also some uh, partnerships with nonprofits to to target some approvals and get some of that supportive housing out the door really quickly um, with the the kind of funding that can be provided by the you know the heft of the of the federal government and we're looking for similar uh, partnerships from um, from the from the from the provincial government uh, you know particularly on the operating support it costs money to keep this this housing operating right yeah um, you know, you know I, I was at the uh, groundbreaking for um, the property um, on Dunn Avenue in, in Parkdale. And that's a partnership with the UHN, the United uh, University Health Network, United Way. Um, there's federal money there, ultimately provincial operating funds. Um, uh, city, city hands are on that in terms of the approval process and other supports that we can provide. Um, all to provide 50 people um, at the core with their health and well-being and the dignity of, of their own housing unit and give their life a chance uh, for for renewal. So that's just one small example of how all of the partners can can step up and and cooperate and play together and make some meaningful change. And modular housing, like a whole new innovative form of construction that actually creates jobs in the the GTA, in the region. And um, uh, I can't think of something that works uh, and checks so many boxes for so many good reasons, um, and and that just means that people have to realize the mutual, you know, benefit of working of working together, and uh, not take a, uh, a you know an overly political or philosophical view against, but actually um, a view that that says, hey, we can get some really good results if we work together.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And I think you know whether you're talking the federal, provincial, or or local levels of government, um, in Ontario and even you know countrywide, I think there's been the real realization that you know housing is important, obviously for 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 providing people with a with an appropriate place to live, a comfortable place to live, but at the same time, is really important for our economic vitality as we as we move forward. You know, we we tracked all these people from all around the world with all their different skill sets and 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 and, and backgrounds, and we want that to continue moving forward. And so, you know, it'll be important to provide, you know, different levels of housing and a greater diversity of housing as we move forward. So, you know, I I really want to thank you for for coming on the show and and discussing all these different initiatives. And and hopefully we can have you back on in in, in the future to kind of talk about how things uh, have unfolded. So, again, thanks to our guest, Greg Lintern from the City of Toronto for joining us today and, and talking about the ways our City is working to ensure that new and existing residents can find the, the right type of housing that meets their needs and, and that it's affordable at the same time. So again, thank you very much.
0: You're welcome, Jason, I enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: And thanks to all of you for listening in. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Trebs Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to all of you for joining us and we'll see you again next time.
0: That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website treb.ca. That's C-A to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thanks for tuning in.